great to see you here today. Welcome to Disciples Church. My name is Joshua Kirstein. If we haven't had a chance to meet, privileged to be the preaching pastor here at Disciples. And uh, it's our joy to be preaching through the letter of Ephesians right now. If you want to grab your Bibles and open to the, towards the back of your Bible to the letter of Ephesians. If you need a Bible to follow along this morning, we, like Leslie said, we have many in the back of the room. And um, it's a real commitment of our church to be faithful to preach and study through God's Word. Um, less interested in telling you the things that, that I want to say and much more interested in helping us understand the good principles and truths of God's Word that we would not only understand that but, but be moved to honor them and grow in them. We're in this sweet section of this great letter in chapter 5, verse 22 through 33, that focuses on marriage. Um, God's good gift of marriage, the unique design of marriage for two to become one, um, the, the good design of God that marriage would, would point to, it would testify to God's um, gospel, Christ and His bride, the church. And so, if you're just joining us today, I would encourage you to consider finding time in the days and weeks to come to go online and check out our podcast and get those foundational pieces that set up where we're at today in the text. We've been taking a number of weeks to work through this passage and kind of taking it piece by piece. And today we're in part two of the role of the husband, as Paul is very focused on the roles that God's uh, ordained for marriage here in this passage. And in, in many ways, they're either misunderstood uh, or, or completely ignored by a modern culture. So it's our hunger and hope uh, to hear God's Word clearly, to be challenged and moved to honor Him and live out these things as He's designed. Last week in part one, as we focused on the role of the husband, we began that time to proclaim that man and woman are both created in the image of God and share the same human nature. Both men and women are equal in their spiritual adoption and life in Christ. Even though a sinful society efforts to place greater human value and dignity on one or the other, this is not God's design. Both men and women are equal in dignity and value. All humans, born or unborn, are made in the image of God and are to be respected with dignity and honor. That said, God is clear in Holy Scripture that it is His good design for marriage, something He created, called us to, gave us, that within marriage, the husband and the wife would have distinct and different roles that are to be lived out. And as we live them out and honor them, we do this for His glory and for our good. Question 30 of the Word of Truth Catechism helps us to have a succinct look at the roles for the husband and the wife. What are the roles God ordained for men and women within the family? The simple answer is this. God has ordained the role of the husband to lovingly lead his wife and family. God has ordained the role of the wife to joyfully submit to her husband's leadership as helper, as his helper. I want to read the passage that we're in in its entirety. Um, and as by way of reminder for those of you walking with me in the previous weeks, and by way of 
introduction to the fullness of what God has ordained for us to have here. Look with me at Ephesians 5, 22-33. Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. In last week's sermon, we did part one of the role of the husband, and, and there's two important points of focus I just want to remind you of as we move into the next portion of the role of the husband. The first that we saw, uh, clearly illuminated in this passage, is the role of headship for the husband. We see this in Ephesians 5, 23. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like leadership, provision, and protection in the home. We also took time last week to look at the importance of servant leadership and how the leadership role of the husband is defined not by culture, not by trends, but by Christ himself. It's modeled by Christ. We look to Christ so that we men would lead in ways that honor God and that love our wives and our families. We see this in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, when you picture yourself as the leader of your home, you need to see the symbol of your leadership not as a throne whereby you rule and reign, but much more as a cross whereby you sacrifice and selflessly love and lead those God has entrusted to you. Husbands, you were not called to lead for your own good and glory. You are called to lead for the good of those you lead and for the glory of God. This is why it is so essential that you belong to Christ, men, 
that He is the Lord of your life. Because you will not lead in a servant way without Him changing you, refining you, shaping you and molding you. He must move you from your dead, selfish, fleshly heart priorities to what honors God. A living, selfless love and motivation for those that you lead. Returning to our definition of headship, we climb into the next two important elements of male headship. Let me read the definition again. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like leadership, provision, and protection in the home. As we look to provision and protection this morning, I want you to first see with me that both provision and protection have a spiritual and a physical element to them. We must not neglect either. It's important we understand them both. I want to spend much of our morning looking at the layers of of where we get this from Scripture and the different verses that help speak to these realities and our good God-given call to lead in these ways. Let's first look at the vital role of spiritual provision, spiritual provider. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. The word nourish and cherish here are very significant. The word nourish means to train up to maturity. So then we could slow and ask, how do we nourish our wife and our kids spiritually? How do we train them up to maturity? And the answer is we provide spiritual food, nourishment. But before we are able to provide spiritual food well and consistently and rightly for our wife and our children, we must possess and have spiritual food ourselves so we have something to offer. This means that husbands must first be prioritized and passionate about their own study of God's Word. To claim Christ as Lord of your life but to not be faithfully devoted to studying His Word and knowing Him all the more is to potentially have embraced a form of man-made religion and Christian ease that is so far from the, the faithful devotion we see in Holy Scripture. That men of God love God and they love His Word. They want to be grown and refined and strengthened by His Word. Husbands, you can't say, I'm not very well read and studied, and I'm also very busy with other life priorities. But I have really reliable shepherds at our church, so I'll just be really sure to bring my wife and my kids to church, and they will do the spiritual feeding they need for me. While being in a committed, healthy church is a vital part of your leading your family, we'll circle back to this in a moment, 
God's call on you, the husband, is to spiritually provide. This is a role you don't get to dismiss. This is a vital call that is on you. Again, if we're going to do this, it must mean we are truly committed to being in God's Word ourselves. So let me ask you just personally, are you in the Word of God? Is this a critical part of your day? As important as bathing or getting dressed or putting gas in the car getting to work on time, that you see a vital part of your life is to be spiritually fed the Word of God. you feeding your soul with the Word, not compromising this time. If you are, you will then be excited to share what you're learning and growing in with your wife and your children. You'll be readied to do that. But if you're not committed to growing in God's Word, then what I have found is you will find excuse after excuse for why you do not lead your home in this way. Brothers, what legacy are you leaving for your wife and your children? I want to tell you quickly about a brother who um, was an inspiration to me. Uh, I'm happy with Jeremy uh, the one leading us in singing this morning, uh, another brother in our congregation, Jason, to be a member of a Christian motorcycle club, bring the gospel to the 1% outlaw motorcycle community and beyond. And one of our long-standing members in the club uh, goes by the name of $2 Bill. Many of us have handles or road names that we go by. More people in the, around the world in that whole circle of life know me as shepherd they don't even know my real name um so it's it's quite interesting two dollar bill got that name because he actually has a unique practice he orders two dollar bills from his bank and binds them and carries around a gangster roll in his pocket he pays for everything in cash with two dollar bills I've witnessed it. He took me to lunch one day at a subway, and I watched the young sandwich maker watch him pull out and pay for our whole meal with $2 bills, a bill you rarely ever see anyway. This kid all of a sudden had a whole cash register full of them. I'm sure that story continued throughout the day. What's interesting about many of the brothers in the club is they've come out of some really gnarly stuff um, and often have... Uh, amazing testimonies of what God has done in their life. And sometimes, you know, you don't necessarily get to see behind the scenes. Well, Bill died a few years ago, and his funeral was huge. He was very known in that circle and very respected in our large organization. One of the things that really stood out to me at his funeral, I was inspired, I was moved, I was challenged, was his children who probably closer to my age, and then his grandchildren, um, and their testimony. The consistent testimony of this family that was in view was how passionate Bill was about the Word of God. That their daily view of his greatest priority was his hour, sometimes two, in his chair, with the Word of God open, studying, being with his Savior, his Lord, 
and just growing in God. And that that had such an impact, then it rolled into how he led his family in the Word. And the testimony among these kids, who are all solidly walking in faith by God's grace, was just to speak of how central that was in that household. And, and the testimony never moved away from it. And I, as a pastor of many decades, walked out of that funeral claim, I have work to do. There is a fervor for the word like this that I want to have in my own life. And was just greatly inspired, thankful for his testimony and example of these things. Man, we must be diligent and committed to being in the word of God. Another layer of our spiritual provision is that we are spiritually discipled. God has created a framework by which we, the saints, are mentored, trained, and discipled. I have seen many great brothers in Christ sadly decide to make excuse for why they are not discipled, not faithful to lean in and to study and to grow. It's in, instead, they decide, I'm just going to self-equip. I'm going to kind of find my own path. But then only to normally see that kind of guy struggle along the way. Never move to new layers of maturity. Um, not see what he doesn't see in himself. And so I ask you, are you in community with other men who are helping you grow spiritually? Men you have invited in. Men that you'll follow. Men that you'll be accountable to. Men that are watching your back. Confronting you when you're in sin. And helping you be fervent to walk in the Lord in all things. I want this testimony for our men. And it's amazing to see how it's happening among many of you. The growth that is, that is taking place. The maturing that's happening. Um, another area of spiritual provision is your initiation and priority for Sunday worship. See, many Christians, men who claim to be devoted to Christ as Savior and Lord, but have found some kind of modern way to be flippant or dismissive about faithful Sunday worship with their family. Brother, man, husband, this should be the peak of your week. It should be the focus and the priority of your weekend. That there are very rarely moments for a vacation or a time of illness by which you are not in church with your family. That the priority to be faithful under your shepherd's teaching, that one of the biggest ways God wants to equip you is through your shepherd's teaching. Uh, are you faithful to that? Committed to that? Not making excuses? Not staying busy with side commitments, hobbies, or even taking jobs that keep you from faithful worship weekly with the saints in fellowship, in prayer, to corporately worship. This is a major part of your spiritual provision for your family, a faithfulness and a commitment to that practice. It starts with you. And it's important that the church that you're a part of is not just one that fits the schedule best. I've seen men pick, oh, we do this church because they have a Saturday night service. Or, or maybe it's closest to your house. Or, or maybe you like the music the best. Or they've got a great youth department. No, you should commit yourself to a church where the Word is being divided faithfully. 
where the leaders are accountable to the Word of God, where the saints are being equipped and challenged and held accountable according to the Word of God, that the Word of God is the priority to the church in which you are a committed member, growing in the Lord and serving the Lord with these few days He gives us under the sun before eternity is upon us. Brothers, are you faithful to choose a career that would keep this priority intact, that you would be leading your family in Sunday worship regularly, getting your family to midweek gathering where equipping and group life is happening, the Word of God is being taught. We're going to circle back to that here in a moment. Uh, another layer to this in spiritual provision is, per, is in being sure the priority of your household is the things of God. And so no hobby gets precedent. No club travel team gets precedent. The Word of God, the short window that God gives you to equip your children and raise them in the truths of God is at a precious time. And I promise you when they're 20 or 30 or 40, what's most important was that spiritual rearing and commitment in them. Not if they won their third state title or accomplished this kind of uh, educational accolade. That, those are all secondary to who that child will be in the Lord. It's the same for our wives. Men, are we holding up that priority? I love the priority of our church that... We had to have an important reformation many years ago to identify that there was too many families where the women were carrying the priority to be in church and to get the kids in church while the men were busy with other commitments. And our faithful commitment and resolve has been to reach the men, to have the men be the leaders and the drivers of this church family. And it's a real joy to see that happening in many ways. Man, are you prioritizing your family's finances to worship God first? Does your wife and your kids, do they understand that the first fruits of your income is to the glory of God? It's to the response of His provision of that income that we trust God, we worship Him in that way. This spiritual leadership is so essential. Are you providing the spiritual nourishment for your wife and children? Brother, this is your role. It's not hers. It's not someone else's. Are you too busy building the old hot rod or watching endless hours of Netflix and so you essentially just leave this to your wife to do? Brothers, this is our God-given role. Surely our wives are to be a part of that journey, walking with our kids in the Word. Surely there's a partnership in that. But it's your area of leadership for spiritual provision. If you're feeling ill-equipped in that, again, I come back to everything I just said of walking with us so that there's an equipping, a maturing, and a growing in you to do this better and better as you move forward. The next vital role we must see in this text is physical provision. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. The word cherish here means to warm, to provide tender love. But this is not just that you men would be better at hugging. Okay, It is more of a providing way. 
How do we warm our wife and our children? By providing them clothes, blankets, a roof over their head, food for their belly. That God has ordained that you would be the provider. It is simply selfish and lazy for the man of the house to not provide for his wife or children. Man, you are not cherishing them if you are not providing for them. Man, God's assignment to us is to provide. We are to be the money makers of the house. This is our role, our duty. Nowhere in Scripture is the wife called to provide. Instead, Scripture is clear that she is first and foremost called to be busy at home, tending to her God-given priorities as helpmate to you and manager of the home and nurturer of the children. These are God's priorities for the wife. We'll dig into that in the coming weeks. Let me say that succinctly in a different way. The husband's primary role, according to God, is that he is the leader, provider, and protector. The wife's primary role is that she is the helper, domestic manager, and nurturer. I say primary because there can be situations where the wife also works or the husband helps at home, but these are not to ever be the primary role they assume. Why? Because God designed it otherwise. Realize what I just said is not based on tradition or old school ideals. Well, maybe you could say it's old school because God's as old school as you get. (laughs) This is God's good design. And we need to be careful that in our pride or in our own grip on how we like life to work or how much money we get to put in the bank, that we are first prioritized to honor Him as Lord, to submit ourselves to His Word in these things. Are there unique happenings of life where maybe the man is physically unable to provide? Sure, but these are unique life circumstances and in no way should be by choice to exchange His command on us for something different. God's Word is clear. Hear God's authoritative Word on us men and if necessary, let it move you to repentance. 1 Timothy 5.8 If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See how central this role is for the husband to be the provider. The husband that is not currently employed or um, able to produce a God-honoring income for his wife or children should be spending his days Repenting of this. How does he turn towards God and what he's called him to do? By committing every day to looking for work. Earning an honest wage. Christian men do not take advantage of long seasons of government assistance and unemployment if you are able to work. While this might be acceptable by the government, it's not acceptable according to God in His Lordship of your life. 
Christian men do not get good at breaking their favorite video game scores while they decide to ride some government assistance and all look for work later. No, we're called by God to provide, and so provide we will. And if this is not you, brother, then it's time for change. It's time for accountability. It's time to rise up and honor God in the ways that He's called you to. Lean in. Ask brothers to help you, to walk with you, to pray with you, to seek counsel about that which you're pursuing or considering or looking for. It's so important, again, that the job you have or take does not take you away from spiritual priorities. We constantly are counseling brothers to not move into careers or jobs that mean they have to work on Sundays, give up important midweek gatherings or circles of discipleship, or give up time at home to be investing into their families. I told a lot of brothers over the years, long, long-distance truck driving is not for a married man or a family man. Why? Because you're gone for weeks and weeks on end and unable to fulfill those other primary God-given roles. Maybe a single man or a widowed man could drive a truck and have a way to do some of that. But there's just certain things. And, and I love the, the testimony, as I thought about this, of our brother Paul. Paul Howard is a faithful member of our church, great brother in the Lord. Picture of him and his wife Kristen on the screen. He rocks a good-looking hat there. Paul uh, became unemployed August 2016. And I really remember his job hunt was lengthy. Not for a lack of trying. Paul really submitted himself to good accountability and working hard to find a good job to support his family. And uh, we walked and prayed with him through many months. I remember along the way there was a couple job opportunities that came that would mean he would not be able to be consistent on Sundays or for midweek or for some of the discipleship that he's doing with other men leading of his own family. We were quick to tell him, even though some of these positions were lucrative, to not accept those jobs. Why? Because his spiritual headship in the home was important, was of primary concern, and that we would walk by faith that the Lord would provide a job for him to uphold those important priorities in his home. You can imagine for a man diligent to look for work, to have those offers, and then to say no to them was tough for him. Him and I conversed about this again this week. It was a good reminder for me to see his faith at work. Eventually, God did provide a job that had a better salary than he's ever had uh, as a um, uh, field engineer. Got a job almost a year later, March 17, and since is one of our primary disciple makers committed here serving uh, right now. Uh, in children's ministry, second hour was here for worship this morning. I praise God for the work that Paul's doing, uh, that God's doing in Paul's life. I'm looking around the room at some of the men who I know are walking with him are thankful for that as well. The next role that we see for a Christian man, godly man, is spiritual protection. Spiritual protection. Brothers, understand the dangers that plague the modern family today are innumerable and very subtle. We need valiant and brave husbands to spiritually protect our families like never before. I don't mean men who run around with spears and shields, but instead men who have biblical discernment and courage. Husband, 
How are you protecting your wife spiritually? How are you protecting your children spiritually? Do you pray for your family often? If this is a spiritual battle we're in, then we need to pray. We need to pray against the deception of the devil, against the wicked agenda of the world, the longings of the flesh that might stir up in her or in our kids. Brothers, we need to pray, and we need to pray more than we do. That we be men of prayer, men who walk with God, men who are devoted to Him. Don't grow weary in this. Again, a spiritual battle rages around you, threatens your family more than anything else. Think about the upheaval of our community over the introduction of a new coronavirus. And yet, how much of a greater threat to any of our families the spiritual dangers are. And yet, do we take it anywhere as serious? We must. Consider the words of Paul just one chapter later after this work in chapter 5, verse 12, Ephesians 6, 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The spiritual protection you provide to your family is so much greater. Other scripture will say you can have the body. To be outside of the body is to be with the Lord. Right? But the spiritual protection of our families is, is critical, man. We must understand this. Brothers, don't just drop your kids off at school or practice. Don't let them out of the car before you pray for them. Don't just say goodnight from across the room or across the house. Throw a quick hug on them. No, go get on your knees and pray for them. Pray for them to be protected throughout the night. That they would dream well. The enemy would keep his distance. That they would grow in faith and trust of the Lord. Do you pray for your wife, men, often? Do you take advantages to pray with her? We should be praying for her all the time. But are you praying with her? One, one of another great testimony, another, another brother in the motorcycle club um, was a hell's angel for 10 years. His backstory is as dark as you'll get. Her backstory is also very dark. She lived in the world, did a lot of wicked things. By God's grace, they both were saved. Uh, Kenny and Jennifer. Uh, are devoted to the Lord, that love the Lord. They're, they're bold in their testimony. I love the opportunities I've had to travel with Kenny and uh, to be in his home. Um, I'll never forget the testimony that they have to faithfully pray every morning before they go about their day and every night before they go to bed. So when I was in their home, I would wake up and I would see this. Kenny and Jennifer holding each other's hands, in prayer for each other before they go. This is not a prop. This is real. This is what this family does. I've been across the country with Kenny, staying in different places, getting up late at night, walking by his room. Remember one time we were in South Dakota and we were staying at a church in their little kids' classrooms. Each of us took a different classroom, threw an air mattress on the floor, 
I went to the restroom late that night. I walked by Kenny's room. And where was Kenny? On his knees with his ear pods in, praying with Jen before he went to bed. Thankful for their testimony. I'm thankful for the faith that I see in this brother. Man, we've got to be praying for the spiritual protection of our family. Another way that we spiritually protect our home is to fight for peace and reconciliation. This is what Jesus did for us. Do you realize that Jesus didn't wait for us to say, I'm sorry, to make a way for us to have peace with Him. He pursued us. He took the initiative for us to have unity. Man, we need to fight against discord and disunity that fractures our marriages and weakens our testimony by initiating reconciliation, communication, and forgiveness. If you're in a season of just not talking and letting a fight go on, and it's just kind of icy and cold and distant, men, it's our job to lead our marriage or our family out of this. Headship means that we lead to remove the disunity in our home. We are the ones to initiate peace and healing and forgiveness. Even if it's her fault. That didn't stop Christ. You break the icy silence. You fight for spiritual protection of that home. One of the greatest ways the enemy will get a foothold in your home is to allow discord to continue. Unforgiveness. Grudges. Wives, this doesn't mean you're off the hook. You as sisters in Christ are called by God in Scripture many times to also make every effort for peace. So you don't get to hear this today and go, okay, I'll wait for him. No. Make every effort means you go to work too. Romans 12, 18 and Ephesians 4, 3 come to mind of the God's call on Christians to make every effort for peace. Romans 12, 18. Ephesians 4, 3. Spiritual protection also means that we are constantly aware of what is getting into our home. I don't mean mold or bad guys. That's physical protection. We're not there yet. I mean spiritual protection. Are you diligent? Are you aware of how the enemy is going to break down your marriage or your family? I can almost promise you it will have nothing to do with the big bad man at your front door. What are they listening to? What are they watching for entertainment? What are they being taught by others? Teachers or co-workers? What exposures are infecting the minds of your beloved? What idols are tempting their hearts away from the Lord? The most important protection you will bring to your family likely has nothing to do with the physical. Yeah, that might come up, and we are to be diligent in our physical protection. We'll get to that in a moment. But deception and wickedness is coming at them from so many angles 
The sad reality with this one is many of the worst exposures that your wife or your kids will have are things that you have permitted to come right in the front door. You might have even gone so far to buy it for them. Putting internet-connected devices in the hands of our kids when they're untrained and undisciplined only opens up great lifelong heartache. We do this in the name of normal or to not have them upset at us. Trust me, they'll thank you later for you to be diligent in your spiritual protection of them in their upbringing. My parents were strict. I never watched one horror movie. I have no idea what any of those are about. I see them fly by once in a while. Like, it just looks dumb anyway. But in that, I don't ever remember as a kid having a nightmare. And I think one of the reasons why is because I was never exposed to the nonsense that would make me be freaked out in my head. And I remember being at friends' houses when I got older, and they're allowed to watch stuff. I mean, parents who didn't care. I had a, I had a 12-year-old friend that was watching Die Hard as his favorite movie. You know, I, just remember, I, I knew how out of bounds it was. And, and, and our rule was I had to call home. And if, and if it was something non-approved, I'd have to come home. As a kid, there's, that's not fun. But as I reached young adulthood, I started to see quickly how these disciplines were for my good. And I circled back to thank my parents for their diligence in even little things like that. Spiritual protection of my mind and heart. We must be diligent. We must do the hard work. Brothers, you don't get to just be busy with the other things. Providing, come home tired. You don't get to leave this up to your wife to figure out. You need to know how the devices are accountable. You need to know what they're watching. You need to love your kids enough to go down this road with them. Um, I'm going to be reteaching or teaching in a new way uh, a lesson, parenting in the digital age for uh, uh, Legacy Christian Academy in the coming weeks and look forward to having that recorded and um, sharing that with you that we would have a real mindfulness in this particular area for walking this road, especially in this digital age, with our family and our children. So more resources to come soon on that for you. Finally, our headship means the vital role of physical protection. Men, if there's a sound downstairs at night, and it might be a burglar, you don't get to roll over and say, Honey, it's your turn. Right? Why? Because it's man code. But it's man code not because of society. Not, right? Not because of John Wayne. Right? It's man code because of God. Because God has designed that you are the physical protector of your wife and children. Big or little, if you're big or little, if you're weak or strong, night or day, we men are to go up against the enemy first. Woe to the husband and woe to the nation that sends their women to fight their physical battles. Both of those are anti-biblical, are not God's design. Do you take seriously the physical protection of your wife and children? 
Do you have any kind of plan? Do you have any kind of practice for how this will work? Are there protocols for your home, for your family? Are there protocols for your wife and your kids when they're out? Are you teaching them how to park in a parking lot, how to walk through a crowded mall? All of these are important things that, at the end of the day, is on us. Do they understand the seriousness of following your leadership in this area? Or is it just assumed? Is there accountable space for your wife and your children? One of the biggest ways you protect them physically is that they remain in accountable space. Right? Your wife has no business ever being in unaccountable space with another man. Your children need to remain and be in accountable space. How does that happen in your home? How does that happen when they're with friends or at school? I have a front row seat to the worst of the worst of what happens when we don't do this. I've sat through the tears, the FBI investigations of great abuse, of great neglect. So if you know me and Jennifer, then you know that we don't even allow our kids to be at our closest friends' houses without serious conversation with those parents about how they get to be there. They don't get to be in bedrooms with closed doors. They have to be in accountable space. Why? Because sin's at work in the little of us, in the littlest of us, right? And there's so many ways the enemy gets access to our wife and our children. Brothers, these are things that we must be diligent in, thinking about and lovingly leading our family in, okay? I want to turn to a final topic this morning before we conclude the role of the husband that we get from this passage. And it's really critical we don't miss it because I think we're often guilty of overlooking it. Much of what you've heard this morning, brothers, could be felt like a heavy weight. Like, man, how do I begin? Where do I begin? And what I want you to understand is you don't do this on your own. You are desperate for Jesus to shape you, mold you, and empower you to these things. To try to do this on your own is to take on a load that will just feel like a ton of weight on your shoulders. We need to want to rise up and post up and take responsibility for these God-given roles in a way that we're invigorated and inspired to honor God and to love our families well. God created man with a purpose, with a mission, And we see part of this in Genesis chapter 2. Flip there the very beginning of your Bible real quick with me for a moment. In Genesis 2, we see four principled areas of where God gave for man to work. Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The first thing we see here is that God gave man a work to do. Do you realize that work, brothers, is not... A negative thing. It's not something that happened as a result of the fall. Hard work, grueling work, is that. But work in and of itself was a good call of God on us before the fall. 
God gave man a work to do. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the next two verses. The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat of the tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. God also gave man a command to obey. Just as we too are under the lordship of Jesus, we are commanded to obey the Holy Word. Do we take that seriously? The third thing we see is in the next few verses. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. goes on in verse 22 through 24 to create Eve. In this we see that God gave man a woman to love. A woman to love and lead. And then if we go back one chapter, Genesis 1.28, we see the concluding comments of the creation. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature. In this we see that God gave man a legacy to pass on. Our grandfathers and great-grandfathers understood what it was to pass on a legacy way more than we do as modern men. But as biblical men, we need to understand it. I'll come back to it in a second. The point is this. Adam failed. Our federal head, Adam, failed. He gave in to sin. He chose sin and death over God and life. And as a result, the human race would pay the high consequence of being born dead in sin, deserving of only death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, though, notice this. When God came to call them to account, even though Eve ate first, Adam came, God came looking for Adam. Genesis 3.9, The Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? She ate first. God came looking for Adam. You can carry this inquiry into a modern day reality, to ask the modern-day Christian man, man, husband, father, where are you? If something's not working in your home, and Jesus comes knocking on the door, he may have an issue with your wife. But the first thing he's going to say when that door opens is, is the man of the house home. Not because the woman of the house is incapable or or not competent for answering Jesus' accountability, but because God designed the accountability and the leadership to fall on the man. As a consequence of Adam's failure, every person born in the world is morally corrupt, Scripture says, spiritually dead. In Genesis 5, we see the line of the people that came from the original man, Adam. And then in Genesis 6, the very next chapter, God gives an assessment of mankind. How is this going? How are you doing at these things I've called you to do? He says in Genesis 6, 5, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The reality of our sin leaves us utterly desperate for a Savior, for the second Adam. The late reformer Martin Luther said it this way, Since all of us are born in sin and enemies of God, have earned nothing but eternal wrath in hell, so that everything we are and can do is damned. There is no help or way of getting out of this predicament. Therefore, another man had to step into our place, namely Jesus Christ. God and man, and had, rent, had to render satisfaction and make payment for sin 
through his suffering and death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of the first man, Adam, and the second, Adam, Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-24, In Christ has been raised from the dead the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then the coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Earlier in this chapter, Paul emphasized the most important fact in human history. The only thing by which we have hope. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins, giving us a way to no longer have to follow the first Adam, but to follow the second Adam, Jesus Christ. In this, we see the second Adam has fulfilled the call. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God provided a way in the Gospel. Jesus did what needed to be done so we could be forgiven, made new, and empowered to serve and live for Him. In this, the second Adam fulfilled His call, and it was essentially the same thing. God the Father gave Christ a work to do, a command to obey, a woman to love, and a legacy to pass on. A work to do in His life, death, and resurrection. A command to obey, to see that through without sin. He obeyed the law through and through. A woman to love. Who's the woman that Jesus loved? The church, His bride, the elect, we who belong to Him. And a legacy to pass on. Jesus' main focus in his days on earth was disciple making. Setting up the very thing we're still doing today, right here, right now. The future disciples of Christ, the church would expand and go worldwide. And until all of God's elect are saved, it continues. Adam and Christ stand as two great figures at the entrance of two very different realities of male headship. Adam and Jesus represent two very different generals who lead two very different armies by which you are in one or the other. Every man draws their masculinity from one of these two Adams. The first Adam, manhood, is set on a natural course that is based on instinct and fleshly bias, and it's broken. The second Adam, Jesus, manhood is empowered by God and is dependent on the Spirit, not the flesh. Thank God for the man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank God for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, who left His throne in heaven, where He rules and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords, to come to earth and take on the life of a servant. 
And although he could have been fed and carried and, and exalted in his earthly time like no one else, he pushed all that aside to give us a model that it's not about this kingdom. It's not about your house, your car, your trophies, or all the temporal experiences that we have. It's about his kingdom. It's about eternity. It's about the gospel. And these priorities he's given us must be first. Picture the ascension of Jesus, who like a victorious soldier, after a long and bloody battle, has defeated his foe and has returned home to reign and to rule. Jesus is a warrior. He's a king. He's a hero who broke the mold on leadership, man, that we are to look to him. We look to so many failed models of leadership and men we look up to that are sinful and broken. We need Christ. And we need to press back on the, on the lame view that a modern secular society has about Jesus. They look to Jesus as a marginalized peasant hippie who wore a muumuu and drove around the Middle East in a hybrid car listening to Lady Gaga and looking for nice people to do aromatherapy with and to drink herbal tea. This is the the lame view of Jesus that our culture has. It's funny, but it's not. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Son of the Living God. He's our victorious champion over sin and death. And your only hope for true manhood that honors God and leads your family in the best ways. So we must look to Jesus, only Jesus. I mentioned last week, and it's worth highlighting again, Jesus' manhood and leadership, watch this, claim it, grab it, Jesus' manhood and leadership is both lion-hearted and lamb-like. It's both. It's strong and it's meek. It's tough and it's tender. It's aggressive and it's responsive. It's bold and it's broken-hearted. And in this, he sets the pattern for true manhood. And so I ask you, which Adam are you following? Which Adam are you fighting for? If Jesus is the Lord of your life, if Jesus is your king, then you won't come to him with your ideas of what should transpire. Instead, you will lay down your agenda at his feet and you will joyfully say, command me. Empower me. If Jesus is the joy of your heart, the greatest affection of your love, the one who defines you, the one for who you live and for who you worship, then you will come to him laying down your life to say, I've made it about me for far too long. I want my priorities, my leadership, my my provision, my protection to honor you. To follow you. A man of God is a person who has died in Christ. Whose prideful neck has been broken. Whose worldly affections have been shattered. 
whose stony heart has been crushed and whose life is now mastered by Jesus Christ. A godly man is one who says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then it starts there. You can't do this without Him. You won't. Your selfishness takes over. Your agenda takes over. You must see your sin. See that the Holy God is righteous to put His wrath on you for your sin. Confess it to Him. No longer making excuses for your pride and your own agenda, but confessing it. And then trusting your life to Jesus as Lord. Not just to believe about Jesus. Do you realize the demons rightly believed about Jesus? But they're damned. To know about Him is not enough. You must believe into Him. To trust Him. You die to yourself and you belong to Him. That's saving faith. That's new birth. I know how sweet it is. If you've been saved, I just ask you one more time, does your life show that you really belong to Him? Is this what you're known for? Is this your testimony? Is this your priority? Are you humbly inviting other men into your life to really do this with you? If not, then it's time to step up. If not, then today is a God-ordained day to have you at Disciples Church to hear the Word of God preached on this verse, on this topic, to do that work in you. Be humble enough to sit with your wife and your kids and confess your sin, to repent of it, and to take up a new path. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not just saying, I did bad. It's to take up a new path in light of the gospel. A path that honors God. A path away from what was sinful. That's repentance. I want to close with Pastor John Piper's words, a quote that has blessed me for a long time. When a man joyfully bears the primary God-given responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, provision and protection in the home, for the spiritual well-being of the family, for the discipline and education of the children, for the stewardship of money, for the holding of a steady job, and for the healing of discord. I've never met a wife who's sorry she married such a man. Because when God designs a thing like marriage, he designs it for his glory and for our good. Ladies, if you're feeling critical, if you're feeling lost at sea, pray. And let me remind you that your hope is not in Him. Your hope must be in the Lord. And I'll tell you this, God is able, more than able. Amen? Amen. Next week we turn to you. Better show up. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time together in your holy word. What a joy it is to have this space to gather, to be faithful to gather, 
despite all the things that are telling us otherwise. To trust you to walk by faith and not by sight. Trust you with our days. To trust you with, um, with how we would do our marriages and, and do life at our home and, and home and in family. And all the ways that we've made it about us and we've made it about our agenda or our preferences and all the ways we've been guilty of being lazy, disconnected, that there be genuine confession of sin and repentance. And as I told a room packed first hour that we just got to start taking the next steps. You would help us to to not necessarily be overly concerned with getting to the end, but just what are the next steps we need to take to get on this road and to be accountable in moving forward so that you would be glorified, so the gospel testimony in our marriages would be told rightly and our wife and our children would be blessed. Lord, you're doing a work in your perfect time. We're excited to, to know you and walk with you that more than anything we'd be desperate for Jesus. And only Jesus, not Jesus plus anything else. Christ is enough, more than enough. Hear us as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.